place everything before you, Lord God, and depend upon you to fill us with you, uh, more of you, your word, and your guidance and direction for our life, especially in in this season and in today's times. So, Father, we thank you and just pray, Father, that you would just bless our conversation now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Actually, I'm going to go back a little bit to verse 10, just to kind of bring some context again, remembrance to where we ended, and then we'll flow right into the new section. So uh, go back to uh, verse 10. says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had ma- has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So quite a bit in here in this short section of scripture tonight, but um, ultimately one major theme that that really comes forward in, in, in what Paul discusses tonight. So again, the challenge last week, if you remember where we left off, the challenge was to take some personal inventory, right? Take personal inventory on uh, what it is that we're really pursuing. What are our priorities in life? How are we uh, moving forward to attain and pursue the life that Christ has for us? So again, what are you trying to gain? Who or what is our priority? And so leaving off there where we pick up tonight in verse 12 is exactly what uh, Paul's answer to that question. And so he's going to answer those questions and those challenges that we put forward last night. So he starts in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. So if the challenge was, what are you pursuing? Paul gives the answer right here. He's saying, I I am not perfect. I am not, uh, I haven't fully attained the full knowledge of who Jesus is to identify with Christ, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. That is something we're continuing to pursue, but nobody in our time here on earth will be able to achieve that. We're not going to be able to achieve that level of perfection or sinless life or full uh, identification of who Christ is in the here and now, but it doesn't stop us from pursuing who Jesus is. That's why Paul says, I press on. That's that that means to pursue, to continue on, to keep pressing in to uh, what it is he's called you to do for more information, more knowledge, more identity in who Jesus is to fully know Christ is something we won't achieve here until glory. So when Christ comes again and snatches us up into heavenly glory, that's when we will understand 
We'll have full comprehension. We'll have full identity in Christ Jesus and what uh, he was all about while he was here on earth. Again, but that doesn't stop us from pursuing him now. So one of the reasons for our salvation, again, one of the reasons, not the reason, but one of our reasons for salvation is to have a personal experiential relationship with Jesus. When you have to pursue a relationship with your spouse or uh, if you're a coach, your athletes or your players, or if you're uh, a teacher, your students, you, you need to understand them. You need to get to know them. Any sort of relationship you have to pursue, you have to press in, you have to ask questions to fully identify. And a lot of that relational building is experiential. And John makes this very clear in first John chapter one, verses one through three. Let me emphasize the words for you. Don't feel you got to turn there, but let me read it. I just want you to hear the words that John speaks about what it is to have a personal experiential relationship with Jesus. Emphasis will be mine. (laughs) John says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, meaning Jesus. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So you're hearing what John defined as their experiential relationship with Jesus. They saw him, they heard him, and then they learned from him and then spoke and and prophesied and proclaimed everything about him to anybody that they could. But to, to fully understand somebody, you need to get to know them. You need to look at them. You need to hear them. You need to seek to understand who they are and they you. But in this scenario, in this relationship, Jesus already has full understanding of us. We understand that, right? He's not trying to get to know us. He knows who we are. It's our job, our pursuit to then do everything possible to know him in every respect, to, to see him. Can you see him now? Can you hear him now? Can you, can you touch him now? Yes, you can through the word of God, through community, through relationship, if it's done with the proper perspective. So again, this takes continual effort, continual change on our part. That's the work that we have to do once saved. Once we've accepted Jesus Christ as our savior and we've committed our life to him, we then have to go through this process of change, changing whatever we have to change in order to set ourselves in a position where we can pursue him unashamedly, uh, unreservedly uh, to get to know him and understand him in every respect. It's like, I want you to think about uh, an athlete's perspective, right? So Paul speaks a little bit to the athlete's perspective here in, in, in running a race. But if you think about an athlete's perspective, when you join a team, if you've ever joined an athletic team before, you're under one, you're under the authority of a coach. You're under the authority of a coaching staff, right? Or the, the mission and vision of that team, you know, and, and so what you do when you commit to the team, then by committing to the team, what you're saying is I'm going to humbly submit to myself or to you, coach, and whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Whatever I need to change about myself, my body, my shape, my, my, my strength, my thinking about how I'm pursuing this, I'm going to do and you're going to tell me what to do and I'm going to do it because I'm trusting and know that you know what you're talking about and I don't. 
right? So if you've ever been there as a as a football player or soccer player or basketball player or any other team sport or individual sport even and had to learn the system, that's what this is talking about. That's kind of what Paul's referring to. But you have to adjust your schedule, your life, your body, your way of thinking, fully committed to do whatever the coach needs you to do. Okay? And, and, but you might have this perspective, uh, and I, I have a very specific uh, thing come to mind when I, when I was coaching. In fact, my dad and I were coaching together at, at Ontario Christian High School, and in one of those years, I was, I was the offensive line coach. And in the, in the offensive scheme that we were running, the linemen that we used were not the biggest and the strongest and the, and the hugest guys on the field. That wasn't the system. We needed fast guys. We needed quick guys. They, they could be small because it was all about angles and whatever else, not just raw, pure strength. And so we needed guys to pull out and get out and run. And so I had my eyes on one particular young man and he was perfect for our system as a, as a guard, a pulling guard. And I looked at him and I said, you're going to be a perfect guard for me. You're going to do great things. I could use you. But he, what he did is he looked at me and says, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be a guard. I am not going to be a lineman. I'm meant to be a running back. So here it is, a player that committed to the team, committed to the coaching staff, but then was trying to tell the coaching staff what he was going to do. You know, so it was it was very interesting <laughs> when I looked at him and went, really? Okay, we'll see how that goes for you. You know, so just not having that submissive attitude, uh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever happened, happened. But think about that in regards to our relationship with Jesus Christ. How can we commit ourselves to him and then turn around and say, well, I'm going to go ahead and just do whatever I want to do with, with no thought or submission or whatever else to the person who knows everything about life uh, in every way. And I don't, I mean, that's pretty prideful, isn't it? To, to look at God and say, I'm good. I'm just going to go ahead and do whatever I want to do. But thanks for, thanks for letting me be a part of your team. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work that way. Right? So we have to adjust our life. And that's why I love the concept of yielding, right? When you yield and you're getting onto the freeway, you have to yield to the flow of traffic. We have to yield our life to God's. But a lot of people love to get onto the freeway at their own pace, don't they? And when you get stuck behind one of them and you've got a diesel truck behind you that's bearing down on you and they are not willing to put their foot on the pedal and press a little bit harder to adjust to the flow of traffic, it's annoying. And that's when the flesh comes out. But we won't, get in, we won't go down that road right now. Okay? But what we have to do is you have to yield to the flow of traffic. We have to yield our life, our heart, our strength, our mind, our way of thinking in every way to who God is and his plan. And when we don't understand what that is, we continue to press on. We continue to move forward. When we mess up and we fail, like when a, when a football player doesn't do the right thing and he misses his block or he's not strong enough and we know he can be stronger, then he's got to put more work in the weight room. He's got to listen uh, stronger. He's got to understand the rules of the game. He's got to understand his responsibility in the position that he's in, that the coach has placed him in to do exactly what the coach needs him to do regardless of if he would rather be with the ball in the end zone. If he just needs to make a block, then that's what the coach has designed. Are you guys following me so far? And that's kind of what Paul is talking about here. We have to adjust to Christ. Our commitment to Christ and then making zero effort to make any adjustment to who he is and what he wants for us, that's not commitment. That's not commitment at all. It just means I want to be a part of the team. I want to get a letterman jacket. I want to get all my medals, but I don't want to really do any work. I want the glory, but 
but I don't want to do anything for you. That's not really a team member. That's not commitment. And I, I work with a lot of young people today in our student venture club. And, and even with, a, I work with a lot of younger uh, youth pastors, uh, these guys that are in their twenties and, and they're, they're, they're zealous. Uh, they absolutely are, but there's uh there's a need to redefine, and I do say redefine, not define again, but redefine what the word commitment means. Because I think we've lost a lot of that in our society today. We've lost that understanding of what it is to commit yourself to an organization or to something or even to God himself, but then think that we have any semblance of control or power or authority in the relationship. We really don't, and, but we've, we've lost that today. But I digress. Let's move on. Verses, that's verse 12, by the way. Let's move on. Verse 13. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This is the athletic mindset. This is where Paul is really speaking to running a race, right? He says, I press on, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, uh, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So no matter what you have achieved in the past, whatever, whatever uh, status or authority or uh, material gain or whatever else that may have come to you in the past or on the opposite side, whatever's happened to you, whatever's been done to you, whatever's gone wrong in the past, Paul is saying, whatever side of the spectrum you sit on, the past is the past. We need to leave it behind and move forward towards Jesus Christ, forward to a better understanding of who he is. So if you want to constantly dwell in the past as if it has any bearing on your new life in Christ, then we need to change our perspective a little bit. Now, I want you to hear me out. It doesn't mean that the things that you gained or went well or, or things that were good in the past, you completely forget. It doesn't mean that if, if you've been wronged in the past or if you've had a hard upbringing or uh, whatever else may have happened to you in the past, that's, that's negative. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm telling anybody and everybody to just forget it, just move on. That's, that's not the word here. Just don't live there, right? It's a part of you. It happened to you or it was something that you achieved, but in Christ, we're brand new. That's why it's called being born again. You know, it's a new life in Christ. So anything before Christ that you had attained or had gone wrong, it's in the past. We move beyond it. We move forward. But those things are vital to be used in your testimony and witness for Jesus Christ as you move forward pursuing who he is, if that makes sense. Now, that's why Paul oftentimes would use uh, his own testimony, who he was prior to Christ, as he talked about early in Philippians, as an accuser, as a persecutor of the church, as as the greatest of the Jews. We talked about that, right? But again, he doesn't feel that way about himself. If anybody said he's the chief of sinners, it was Paul. If anybody says uh, all that I did before is wrong and I, I, I leave it there, then then we understand what he's saying. It doesn't mean those things can't be used to further the kingdom of God. We just don't dwell on them. We don't live there. So try next time you go to the store or get on the freeway, I want you to drive to your next destination completely exclusively looking in the rearview mirror. Does that make sense? And that's what a lot of people will do. They'll want to move forward, but they're constantly fully gazed in the rearview mirror, right? Because they're so concerned about the things that happened to them or what had happened to them 
They can't keep their eyes focused on what's ahead of them, which is pursuing Jesus Christ. So what Paul uses here is running. He uses this idea, if, if, if you're a runner or have ever ran sprints or were in track or even long distance, uh, I don't think any coach out there would tell you constantly be looking backwards, constantly be looking behind you to see where the other runners are. They might say once in a while, check, do a quick glance, but in a full sprint, you, you'll never see these Olympic runners like Usain Bolt or any of these guys sprint down the track and then look over the shoulder to see where everybody else is at. Nobody does that. Because the moment you start to turn around, what happens? You slow down. You, you get off course. And we're going we're gonna to come back to that uh, concept in just a little bit. So here's what Jesus says about this. He had a lot of people follow him. We've been talking about that in our study of the book of Mark. Thousands of people constantly following him and many people coming to him saying, I want to follow you. What do I need to do to follow you? Here's the coach. Here's what Jesus, the coach, would say to his athletes. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, Jesus says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds, have, uh, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So what is Jesus saying? You want to follow me? Good. You're going to be homeless. You ready? Let's go. Didn't, didn't really sit well with a lot of people. Other people would come up to him and he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Harsh. <laughs> Sounds harsh, right? Basically, Jesus is saying, you know, don't worry about your family. You know, they're going to take care of themselves. If you're going to follow me, then you're going to move forward and go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what you're going to do. And yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Meaning we've got work to do. If you just want to dwell on your past, if you just want to sit in your old ways, you're never going to move forward. It's like a, you know, using, using that farming mentality. You put your hand to the plow and that, that bull, that oxen moves forward and you're constantly looking back. You're, it's, it's not the right thing. You're, gonna, you're not going to go in a straight line. You're not going to do what you need to, be, need to do. So our eyes, our focus, our heart, our intent, everything needs to be straight ahead. As Paul was saying, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ. So when you run a race, what's the goal? The finish line, right? You're constantly focused on that finish line, finishing. But you also have a prize in mind. Right, and if you set out on an athletic team or uh, competition, then you're you're part of that team for a reason. And a lot of the goals as a former football coach for a lot of our team was to set goals for the season, whether individual goals or team goals or whatever else. The number one goal every single person on that team and coach would say is what we want the ring, right? We want that CIF championship. That is the ultimate goal. That's the highest level of attainment we could get. You know, and then others would say, well, we want a league championship. I want another patch on my jacket. I want to be first team all league. I want, uh, you know, to, to just develop my skill as a player. I want to be stronger by the end of the year or whatever it might be. I want to run faster uh, by the end of the year. All goals, but yet that's a goal. And so you're working to attain that goal, those prizes. And so you, what you're saying is I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to that prize, to get that ring on my finger. So what is Paul saying here? What ultimately is the goal? What's the prize? What's the upward call? of? And so he answers it, really. He says, 
everything God has for us in glory. It's the upward call. That's the prize. And, and a lot of us might be confused by that. Well, how is that a prize? How, how is being called by God a prize? Well, if that's what you're asking, then you don't have a proper understanding of who God is. Because the creator of this world, the God of this, this universe, looked at you and said, I want you on my team. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're at in life. I don't care what you've gone through or, or what you're currently going through. I need you and I want you and I desire you to be on my team. You know, I've watched a lot of videos of, of uh, coaches, college coaches that would uh, go and recruit players, right? And one of the, the greatest things that could happen to a high school player is to have that college coach come and knock on their door and say, I'm here for you. I mean, that's something, you know, a lot of people will just be sent a letter. They'll, they might get a phone call, but when the coach shows up and says, I want you on my team, that's a personal call. That's a prize in itself because you are desired. You are loved enough. Somebody saw something in you that they want to have. And that's exactly what God did by sending his son to come down, to come for us and say, I'm going to die on the cross because I want you on my team. That's the prize. That's the goal. So the interpretation I love is just that, that we are called to be a part of God's family. He says, I want you a part of my family. You know, if you're lost, if you're lonely, if you're forsaken or whatever else, come on, you, I got a place for you. I got gear for you. I got, I got purpose for you. Come and be on my team. Be a part of my family. You know, 1 Corinthians 9.24, when we talk about prizes and, and what we get in Christianity, a lot of people will say, you know, we don't, we don't work for anything. Well, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible, God is very clear that he will give us a prize. In 1 Corinthians, Paul states that in, in, in chapter 9, verse 24. He says, do you not know that all that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. God wants to bless us. God wants to encourage us. God wants to give us prizes. And that's a beautiful thing. The crown of glory. But we've got to run in such a way to obtain it. And God promises eternal blessings. We see that in 1 John 3, 2. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Wow, that is something to attain. If we're pursuing Christ's likeness, pursuing as close to perfection as we could possibly get here and now, when he arrives, when he comes to take us home, it's in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the snap of a finger, we're going to be in glory and to be like Christ. That's something that we're attaining. That's something we're striving for. But this is how we've got to think continually, continually pressing on. It's an everyday thing, everyday occurrence, that constant daily effort to obtain Christ-likeness. Now, he also says in, in this passage, in this portion of scripture, he says, but let us hold on. Hold on to what we know about Christ. It doesn't mean that Christ-likeness and, and spirituality and to, to whatever degree is going to come automatically. But we do have some knowledge, right? Every single one of you right now listening have some knowledge of Jesus Christ. You have some knowledge of Scripture. So don't just hold on to that and wait to gain more. What, what Paul is saying here and what Jesus is telling us is what you have, what you have right now, use it. And then I'll continually give you more and more and more and more, right? So we've got to use what we know. Hold on to what you know about Christ and maintain and use that knowledge to spur you on for more. But Paul also says, 
hold true. So he says, hold on to what you know and use it, but also hold true. Now, hold true in the literal sense is a military term. It's, it's rank. It's military rank and file. It's marching orders. And I know at least a couple of you watching were in the military. And so when you're ordered to march and you learn to march in, in perfect step and alignment with the rest of your, uh, I almost said crew. That's not the right word, but uh, brigade. I don't know. Somebody fill in the term, you military guys. Brigade, uh Cohort, uh, team, I don't care. Let's move on. But it's military rank where you march in a straight line, right? You don't just march how you want to march. You don't just walk with your with your guys. There's a very specific way you march, a very specific orderly line in the way that you hold that line. You hold true and don't break until you're told to. You know, that's what Paul is talking about. So this is what he's getting at. When we hold true, it means we're 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 marching in a straight line towards something, right? And so what we then have to look at is when we miss and we we get off course. That's exactly what sin is. Sin, in the literal sense, means in one respect it's an offense, right? Any sin is an offense towards God. But in another way that we can define sin is that it literally means to miss the mark. So when Paul says, hold true and march in that straight line, any moment you get off course, any moment you change direction, you're missing the mark. And that's what sin is. A very easy way to understand this for probably a lot of us, maybe that weren't in the military, maybe you understand a bow and arrow shooting at a target, right? The goal is the bullseye. That's what you're shooting for. But anytime you don't hit that bullseye, spiritually speaking, that's sin because you miss the mark. You miss it all together. You know, your arrow goes off into the woods. You don't even hit the, the hay bale, right? But if you hit it and, and you keep working on it, then you're going to get good. And you're going to hit the bullseye more often and more often and more often. But get what we're saying here. The more work you put in to aiming straight, marching straight, holding that line, doing exactly what you need to do, that repetition of, of work and effort and pursuing Jesus Christ by studying his word, being in constant communication with him is the way that you're going to continue down that straight path. So what are we marching towards? Something to think about as we're, as we, before we move on. If you know your marching orders, right? If you know what you're supposed to do, then what are you heading towards? What's the goal? What's the prize? It's something we need to think about. Meaning Jesus Christ and his glory and his perfection and, and his righteousness should be the goal, spiritually speaking, in everything that we do. So what are we aiming at? And the, probably the more important question for, for all of us here, because I know all of you, is that when we miss the mark, what's your response to that? Do you have a response? That when you get off course, when you trip, when you, when you turn aside, when you, when you get out of line, what is your individual response when you miss the mark? That's important to think about. But we'll come back to that in our conversation. Verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So very simply put, what is Paul saying? He puts a lot of uh, responsibility on his shoulders to say, act like me, imitate me. Because I'm trying to create a bunch of Pauls? No. 
In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if we are to imitate anybody, it's because that individual is pursuing Jesus Christ. Because that individual is trying to be like Christ. Therefore, we be like that individual who's trying to be like Christ. And if you know your math, A squared plus B squared equals Christ likeness. Make sense? Right? But you've got to, that's bad math. We've been homeschooling for too long. You've got to understand and, and choose wisely who you're going to follow, who you're going to set your eyes on physically here and now to model after if that individual is seeking in every way himself or herself in their pursuit of Jesus Christ. But we need those people in our life. And that's what Paul's saying. Jesus ultimately is the goal, but we need to surround ourselves with people who are pursuing him as well, because we're not meant to do this by ourselves. Verses 18 and 19 says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now this is hard because you almost get the sense that as Paul is writing this letter, he's thinking about some who have swayed and, and steered off course so much so it causes him anguish. And he's writing with tears in his eyes, you know, about those that have strayed away or, or left their faith or left the church for whatever reason because of what they're doing and labels them enemies of the cross. Now it's interesting that he didn't label them enemies of Jesus. He labeled them enemies of the cross. Let's take a look at that because these could be Christians and these could be non-Christians. Now, if, if what he's defining are Christians, those who had accepted Jesus Christ, then it's those Christians who believe there is absolutely nothing to do for Christ once they've received salvation. That they've gone off and believed something else about uh, Christ or about what they need to do or how to live their life that they're fully taking advantage of what Christ did on the cross, which means what? If they're an enemy of the cross, they're an enemy of the sacrifice that Jesus made to forgive them of their sins. And so they're people that are living in sin, just living their lifestyle however they want to live, yet identifying as a Christian. Not appropriate, right? Do, does it mean that they're not Christians? That's not for us to say. Okay? God is the one that judges the heart. But if they're living in a way that doesn't identify with Jesus Christ, but yet proclaim to have accepted him, Paul would say you're an enemy of the cross. Now, if he's speaking of people that have never accepted Jesus, never committed to Christ, well, that would make sense, right? Because Jesus said very clearly, you're either for me or against me. There is no in between. So these are those that they're their own God. Their life is their idol. They're doing anything they want to do, live however they want to live because they don't have Christ as a goal. They're not pursuing him because they don't know him and therefore don't even understand what sin is because they're not living by the term sin. They're not living by righteousness. They're not living by grace because they have zero understanding of the goal anyways and who Christ is. So what does Paul say to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 verse 5? He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. So again, very challenging word for us, even as Christians. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're consistently setting your mind on the things of the spirit, are you? And you think about the fruit of the spirit and how that uh, pertains to you and how that manifests itself in you as a follower of Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Anytime, have you ever missed the mark on any of those? Can you use that as a litmus test for yourself? 
Anytime you're not being loving, not being patient, not being kind, not being gentle, not having self-control, you're missing the mark. And so you're not keeping in step with the spirit, which means your mind and your heart is on earthly things, not on Christ. It doesn't make you not a Christian. You don't lose your salvation. It just means you need to flip your thinking and get your eyes and your perspective back on Jesus. Very plainly put in Colossians 3, 2, he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And so that's a strong call for us daily. So let's bring this to a close. Verses 20 and 21. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we're citizens of heaven. That in itself deserves an amen. That we are citizens of heaven. Our name is written in his book. You know, we belong to him. But that's something that we need to be very careful of and remember and call to mind often. If we're citizens of heaven, what are we doing here to represent our citizenship? Okay, and so uh, I want you to think about a church that sends out missionaries. Okay, a church that if maybe you yourself have been on the mission field before. Anybody ever gone on a mission trip? Short term, maybe longer term. Okay, and so when your church sent you out or you went on your own as, as a missionary, you did not automatically become a citizen of that country that you went to. You know, you don't identify with them. You don't maybe even fully understand the culture or the politics or the economics that'll come in time. But short-term missions mean you're going somewhere because you have a purpose in mind and why you're going to that city and that country or, or whatever else, right? There's purpose for the missionary for the time that they're in country right? There's a very specific purpose in what you're going to do with the time that you're there. Again, albeit a weekend, whether it's a, a week or more, you know, there are long-term missionaries. There are some that are on the mission field for uh, a year, two years or, or more. And so if they're there for more, then they might become a citizen. They might uh, attain dual citizenship. But again, it's dual citizenship. They don't forsake where they came from. And their mind is always set on returning home at some point. You following me on this? And so if our citizenship is in heaven, then that's how we need to think. This is not permanent. We're not here to establish ourselves permanently. Okay. And, and Paul makes this very clear otherwise in other scriptures. First, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. So do you understand what the word ambassador means, right? If you understand politics, an ambassador is a represent, representative of another nation within the borders of uh, an opposing country or not opposing, it's not the right word, but of another country, right? But they're not there. They're just representing the country where they're from, right? And that's what an ambassador is. So if our citizenship is in heaven, then as ambassadors... We represent Jesus Christ while we're in this country, but we don't live here permanently. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to really wrap your mind around because I think we do everything possible to set up our life in such a way where it's permanent. We want to be established. We want to grow roots. We want to settle in, right? It, whether it's that it's into our home or our job or career or family or uh, whatever it might be. We, we think long-term. 
right? We have long-term goals, but the reality is we're not here forever. And so we can't think that way. Now, Peter would say something similar uh, in his writing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter would write, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when you speak, excuse me, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, I love that passage of scripture because he's basically saying, look, you're sojourners, you're exiles. Again, you're passing through, right? This, you're, you're not there to stay. So while you're there, be of good conduct. Set your mind on heavenly things so that when they see you as, a, as an exile, as a sojourner, as a, uh, if, I, if I can, I'll even use the term illegal alien, that would mean a lot for us in, in Southern California, you know, for, for those that live in a very diverse area, you know, that's kind of what Peter is saying is you, you're in this country, but other people will say you don't belong here. They're going to label you as evildoers in, in light of Jesus's name and, and what you're setting out to do. Okay? But yet when they see your good works and what I love about this is that they will glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter's speaking about Jesus coming again when every knee will bow, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every person will stand before Jesus Christ. And I, I, I love the mentality of what Peter is saying is they may recall you and how you lived your life as an example to them of a God-honoring Christ-like individual and they blew you off. They counted you as an evildoer. But yet when they stand and face Jesus Christ, it all is going to become clear. So our job, our responsibility is to do what we're to do as a sojourner, as an exile, as an ambassador, as a, as a team member, as a runner. We've got a lot of identity, right, that we've talked through in just this short passage, but doing what we're supposed to do for Jesus Christ while we're here. And finally, let's look at Jesus's words and we'll, and we'll close in prayer. John chapter 14, verses two through three. This is what Jesus says. If, this, if, if none of this makes sense, then run with this. <laughs> Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's the beautiful thing. Jesus came to get us onto his team. I desire to have you a part of my team, but this is temporary. I've got work for you. I need you to do things for me. I need you to help expand the kingdom. Live for me, work for me, honor me, lift up my name while you're here. But I've got a place that I'm preparing for you so that when I come again and take you home, that's permanent. And so there's, a, there's so much that we need to shift in our thinking. And, and yeah, shift in our thinking and, and make maybe even physical changes, uh, financial changes, uh, whatever it might be to take on the mentality of how we pursue Christ is our ultimate goal. Everything else is temporary and should not be set up in a way that is going to distract us from what Jesus needs us to do in the time that we have here. And we don't know how long that is. It could be another day. It could be a week. It could be 40 more years. We don't know. But while we're here, We've got a job to do. Does that make sense? So that's kind of everything that Paul is talking about in this section. Constant pursuit of Jesus Christ and who he is.